0: You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are,
1: however, you're listening, it's America's talk radio show about opera. It's Opera Box Score. I'm George Cedarquist, joined this week by Weston Williams and Ashley Hardgrave. All right, the Metropolitan Opera is reducing performances and dipping into its endowment to survive. We crunched the numbers to see if these tactics will swell the coffers. And then in Chalk Talk, it's our predictions for Opera Land in 2023. You know, we've got a good track record for predictions. Plus, That's actually true. <laughs> in the two-minute drill, the Met and Glimborn might be in trouble, but the Verity Festival is doing just fine. Hmm. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Stitcher and Spotify. You click follow on Apple Podcasts, hit the plus sign, And again, send us that voice memo, email us your hot takes, operaboxscore at gmail.com. You're going to get the OBS beer coaster and the OBS lapel pin just for sharing your own hot take. Weston Williams, Happy New Year.
2: Oh, Happy New Year to you, George. Uh, Did you see the ball drop from where you were?
1: Dude, I'm on Central Time, so I never watch the bell drop.
2: <laughs> <laughs> You're all, you'll just go to bed at 9 p.m. and just, you know. Uh, I stay Just up. any other day. Oh, okay, I okay, stay okay. Up, yes,
1: I stay You're up, not old I like yet. To be, I like to be outside for the stroke oh. of midnight and breathe in the fresh air of
0: the new year.
1: Is it different? Oh, Ashley
0: Hardgrave, how did you celebrate
1: New Year's?
0: Uh, I accidentally committed to not one, but two parties um and you know you kind of have to be in one spot for the whole reason that people get together that night in the first place um but i managed to make it to both i have a core group of really close people that i spend time with and i got to be around a whole bunch of people that i just love not you folks because you were off doing your business but you know it was it was it was very lovely um I I know Oliver is currently in Paris at the moment. So while Dad's out of town, we're going to get a little a little a little petty petty princess up in here. Um and I just want to <laughs> I want to give a quick 2023 shout out and congratulations uh to the Detroit Lions for being the princess petty island um because they went into their last game of the season which was yesterday not looking to win to go to the playoffs because they knew they were already like out of playoff contention Mm. but they wanted to win to keep the green bay packers and everybody's worst enemy yours and mine karen rogers (laughs) out of the playoffs and win they did bravi tutti good job detroit lions i am your new biggest fan
1: So funny. Oliver, of course, is in Paris. I'm hoping he's going to do a postcard from Paris segment. And isn't Matt in India?
2: Everyone's everywhere except for me. I'm still in
1: the closet. The national championship for football is tonight. (laughs) Wow. 31-7 at the half. I don't even know if we're going to do an update as we're taping this show. It feels like this is going to be a blowout.
0: I mean, listen. We it's we knew there's a Big Twelve team playing an SEC team. That's all you need to know. But good on the TCU Horn Frogs. This is a Cinderella story. It's gonna end tonight. But congratulations on making it this far.
1: They they did beat Michigan. I I listened on the radio because I don't have ESPN and I just love the radio. And that was a good choice. That was quite a an upsetting game. <laughs> Let's talk <laughs> some opera.
0: Subject to interpretation and analysis, let's crunch the numbers.
1: On December 26th, that's also Boxing Day, the Met announced that it was taking $30 million out of its endowment and cutting 20 performances from next season, all in an effort to achieve financial stability. The last couple of years have been rocky for many reasons. We're going to crunch the numbers to see just how this plan might work. So we're going to look at some numbers, look at some reasons behind this decision to try and figure out if this is going to work. To set the stage, and then I'm going to get out of the way and let Ashley and Weston talk, the annual budget of the Met is $300 million. So 10% of its endowment has been dipped into. Uh, This season, it gave uh 215 performances and next season it's going to cut 10% of those so 21.5 performances it's going to do half a show
2: i mean that's just cav or or pag you know
1: <laughs> okay that's fair that's fair it lost 150 million dollars of potential revenue during the pandemic and While I had a pre-pandemic attendance of 73% of capacity, which frankly is nothing to write home about, that has now fallen to 61%. So problems, right? Actually, I want to start with this. Dipping into the endowment, 10% of that endowment, so taking $30 million, how big a deal do you think that is?
0: Not. um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, I do think for most people, dipping into endowments and and at that chunk, that's not something you can do a lot uh, to get ten percent of your endowment out. But at the same time, this is what endowments are for. We are we they're rainy day funds. They are coffers to help when times have gotten tough. And boy howdy, have times been tough for yeah. all arts organizations, not just the Met, but very specifically, you know, some of the the pl- problems that have plagued the Met. This is what endowments are for. So I know some people have gotten really up in arms about the fact that they're dipping into it at all and the fact that they're taking so much. But like this is if we want to talk sports terms, this is part of the Hail Mary move that they need to make now to make sure that they can continue. So I'm not super shocked at it because this is what endowments are for.
1: Yeah. Cutting performances for next season, 20-odd performances. Of course, no major league team would ever cut games. In fact, the NFL added a game this year. <laughs> I, I don't quite understand the logic behind that. Obviously, like it costs money to put these shows on. It costs kind of money to make money, but I'm not convinced that cutting the number of shows is as much of a solution as changing the repertoire. Weston, what's your take on that?
2: Well, I mean, the the take is apparently the same that they have at The Met. Uh, I I, I do think that there is some logic to cutting down shows in times of financial distress, because then you do uh, kind of consolidate your audience into and have fuller theaters, at least theoretically, per performance. Um, But that being said, what The Met has noticed um, is that the big the big war horses, the stuff that they've been doing for decades and decades and decades at this point are not bringing in great numbers They're, I mean, like, like I said, I was like, the average was 61% this past season. Um, however, new operas like um, the hours uh, fire Should up in my bones sold out. Like mm-hmm. when was the last time the Met sold out, you know? And, right. and it's kind of funny because this is the kind of thing that, you know, even going back decades, like new shows tend to do really well at the Met. I think of even like, you know, Einstein on the beach had, it's had a big, you know, back in the seventies, uh, one of the weirder operas you could possibly do, um, sure. sold out then, you know, and like there's, there's, there's a big appetite for that kind of thing. And this is the kind of stuff we've been, you we've, uh, and, B, and Peter Gelb said, this is, um, what we need to do to go forward. We need to start emphasizing new pieces, By uh, new composers, um, because those are what are what's selling. And I think that's a really good smart move on the Mets, uh, Mets part, because this is something that, frankly, I didn't think they were ever going to do unless their back went up against the wall. And, you know, unfortunately, their back
0: is up against
2: the wall right now financially.
1: So, Ashley, the decisions have been data driven, I think, is your point.
0: Yeah, I mean they're actually paying attention to numbers, you know, houses like Don Carlos that are at 40% capacity versus the Hours and Fire which were basically sold out houses. Numbers don't lie. And so if that's what's getting butts in seats, I mean it's in a way it's akin to lyric putting on a musical every year. They know that thing's going to sell out. It helps keep things afloat. But I also think looking at The other side of the numbers, the nuts and bolts of what it costs to keep shows Mm. up and running for as many performances as the Met tends to do. Because for every one of those productions, you've got security, you've got musicians, you've got house staff, you've got all of these different things that they're paying into that aren't just the artistic costs. It's the actual nuts and bolts of making the house run. So if you can reduce the number of shows, you're going to reduce the number of hours of labor that you're going to have to pay out for. So it makes sense to consolidate, especially if you're not selling out shows.
2: I I will say, I I think it's worth looking into some of the reasons for this dipping into the endowment beyond just ticket sales. Um, Because as we uh, all know, if you've ever been to like a live and HD production, they're like, ticket sales are only half of what we actually need. You know, uh, which really is true. And I think the big reason, uh, obviously the pandemic was was a huge hit on their budget. Right. I think a bigger hit perhaps was the choice to, you know, last season... Make sure every single performance went on, you know, regardless of you know anything. They were proud of that. They were very proud of that. And at the time, I was like, "That's that's a bold move," because not, there were, during some of those surges, people were not coming. I mean, here at the lyric, they canceled um, uh, the Miso- the Mazzoli opera, which mm-hmm. was very disappointing. But I I I wonder, like, if the Met had done something like that, would this have been as much of an issue, or was most of it already paid for just by having the possibility that it would be uh, paid for? Uh, uh, that it would be put on rather. Um, but I think the bigger thing that we are, that is affecting the Met right now, in addition to the low ticket sales, the, the fact that there are still people now who don't want to go into a theater Mm -hmm. very understandably, um, uh, who will not be coming back for a long time. Um, I think, uh, uh, one big problem is, uh, well, one big problem is the donors. That's, I think is the biggest problem because the, The biggest financial issue happening to the Met right now is tied in with, you know, rich people's stock portfolios, (laughs) essentially. And ever since um, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, stocks have plummeted. Uh, and they have stayed down for a very, very long time. And donors are notoriously skittish about if they about taking out too much, you know. Uh, so a lot of these big, huge ticket donors um, who they ordinarily depend on for this entire past year have just been no thank you. Uh, I, I I, have to wait for uh, for everything to go back up again, you know. Uh, and then, of course, you add that to the low ticket sales. Uh, e- even the recent hack certainly cost them some money, um, <laughs> which you know, was not
1: their fault. Well, it, it's not really, their fault, not really,
2: I, absolutely. But I, I think that you know, uh, I was looking it up. I was trying to figure out would the hack have had anything to, to do with this. We know they were missing out on a fairly significant number of ticket sales during that time, at Christmas time. And uh, yeah, I, yeah I, I don't think it would have been that much to like. And, and what we do know is a ransomware attack, apparently. Uh, if they paid the ransom that could be a big uh, a big ticket sort of uh cost but i have i have seen nothing to say that that's actually happened i don't, uh, think they did. I, don't I don't think <laughs> no, they did I think so. uh, but like it does happen like there uh it does. i was i was reading some statistics Um, the average company and granted not, not performing arts company, but like a company in general, the average company, when they get a ransomware hit, it it costs them like a million dollars, like on average. So I don't know if the Met would be in the same category because obviously the Met is not, you know, your typical corporate office, but I'm, I'm sure there was something there too. But one thing that I don't see anyone really talking about, uh, is the tourism factor here. Uh, Because I think back to 2001, right, where there was a huge disaster Mm -hmm. in New York. Tourism plummeted to almost zero. The Met was suffering for a long time because of that, which makes sense. One thing that happened there was the exact same thing you see happening there. All the big war horse operas um, that they depend on, those were not getting ticket sales, but the weird stuff they put on in the season or two following uh, 9-11, mm-hmm. that was the one that people came to because New Yorkers who live right next to the Met, they've seen La Bohme a million times. They right. don't want to see it again. Um, uh, but they're interested in the new stuff, the weird stuff. And this is, ties into what we, we say a lot about, um, about making sure that you know you're representing your local community. And I do think that tourism at the Met is an important part of it, but I I don't think the Met is ever going to be as big a tourist draws something on Broadway, say, you know, uh, especially not now when, you know, lack of classical music education is down, um, Mm -hmm. you have... uh, uh, less sort of uh, idea of what's going on. And, and people who are new to the opera or going to New York, going to see the opera, they see like, you know, Madame Butterfly and they're like, oh, wow, this is pretty racist and sexist, isn't it? And they don't have any context for why it might still be worth, you know, considering as a piece of art, you know. Uh, and I think that I, in some way, making the change to contemporary opera and making it something that's just cool for New Yorkers will make the tourists come back again because they am like, oh, this is the cool thing that only New Yorkers do. It's a little bit of a paradox there, but that's not something they pursued at all. I I get the paradox. Yeah.
1: It, look, there is absolutely no way that people think of the Met as a tourist attraction. Right. Right? Like, culture in this country surely is punching way below that weight class. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah. And and so, uh, for, for Peter Guelph to think that is is extreme. I mean, he's always been very reactive. His decisions yeah. are very reactive. I mean, he's like the Pepto-Bismol of, of <laughs> like, by the, by the time you take his medicine, like, it's too late. You're already, like, sitting on the can. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so... But, but let's look at the repertoire because it seems to be that we think it's the, – the change in repertoire is what the the company is trying to do long term. But when you actually look at the choices of the rep, like what do we what do we think of that? You know, the, the sorts of shows – you mentioned The Hours. I think as a panel, we're actually pretty split and divided on if we think The Hours was like an interesting show or not. Ashley, I'm not sh- sure if you were that much of a fan.
0: I mean – I, ugh, I On on some level Okay, here's the deal is like when we look at I'm going to compare it to like the Broadway world for a second And, you know, we've seen sort of this like Resurgence of You know, the, the jukebox musical Play revivals We are currently at a time where there is There is a deep, deep sense of Nostalgia Because mm-hmm. we have been in such a, An uncertain period Over the last couple of years So whether people realize it or not The idea that their art has a storyline that they know or that they understand or that they know a little bit more about is comforting to them because so many things have been uncertain. We're not looking for suspense in our art. You know, we're looking for something that's going to be soothing and comforting and whether we realize it or not. Yeah. And, yeah. So we want something that's heartwarming or in the back of the brain that we're already familiar with so that we don't have to work that hard to get to know things, which is why I see some of the choices of the repertoire that are being made on the opera side doing the same thing, but differently. So they're bringing in new works, they're bringing in new pieces and more modern storylines in the world of opera, but they're doing it with things that are already part of the cultural zeitgeist in one way or another. The Hours, Malcolm X, these are things that are relatable to the current culture. So basically they're they're showing us something that's brand new, but they're not showing us something that's brand new. Anybody that's read a history book knows about Malcolm X. Anybody who was alive and saw films 15 years ago knows what The Hours is. So in a way they're tapping into that nostalgia that we as a culture haven't yet admitted that we need so much right now, but they're doing it with these new pieces. So as much as I might not have loved the piece The Hours, I get why a lot of people would and why it's comforting. We already know the story. We just want to see what an opera is going to do with it.
1: I think you have to be very careful, as you say, Ashley, that The Met is doing all this like adventuresome programming, right? Next season opens with Jake Heggie's Dead Man Walking. It's a great piece. It's also from the year 2000. Uh, right. also in the season, Daniel Catan's uh, Florencia and El Amazonas, which is in Spanish, John Adams' oratorio, opera oratorio a niño, as well. Perhaps that's that's pushing the envelope a little bit more. But this is not, I mean, it's it's not Detlev Glanert
2: yeah it's all it's all very it's all very tonal it's all very comfortable for an american art. I
1: mean, that's like the, the biggest the, insult the Weston can ever lay down
2: <laughs> well i mean i don't think that uh, you know a good art has to be tonal or not like, that, that's Weston, that's a silly Weston thing it's modes i i <laughs> uh if it's not at least polytonal i'm going home um <laughs> I do think that that Life and Times of Malcolm X is good. I do think that there's, uh, I, I do think that it it is obviously one that's been out before. It's having a moment right now, which I think is good. Um, but uh, like Daniel Katan has a very, uh, very conservative neo-romantic language that's very comfortable. Kevin Putz does too. Uh, even, even El Nino is one of the most neo-romantic things I think John Adams has ever done, uh, which is not a knock on that. As we, as we all know, I love that piece. Um, but I, I do think there is something to that. I, I think that uh, Peter Gelb, especially, uh, my, my one sort of qualm with having this big change happen under Peter Gelb is that Peter Gelb thinks in very Broadway terms. Uh, I actually had the, uh, Privilege, I suppose, is the right word of actually having an interview with him once uh, in a in another life. Right, and uh, it was a pretty in depth interview, and it was really interesting. Uh, but the thing that struck me was that he was comparing everything that the Met was doing to what was happening on Broadway. He mm-hmm. wanted to do things more like Broadway. He mm-hmm. wanted uh, he wants some of that more. Not that Broadway is always commercially viable either, but like there's 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 that element of popular almost kitsch to it, right? Uh, And I do think that by its very nature, opera is not going to be as kitschy here in the year of our Lord 2023. Um, But he does have a strong instinct to find the most digestible ways. Like he's not going to be the person to be like, He's not going to be the first person, I should say, to find something challenging for the audience that's going to make it cool enough to make it really uh, artistically viable. He might have enough gu- enough guts to, like, you know, pull in something like Life of Times of Malcolm X as it's having a moment, and that can still be quite relevant. Which it is. Um, but I think that he is not necessarily... He's not necessarily the person to be like sending them into like this really new gutsy direction. I I could be wrong. Like I, I will say, Peter Gelb's greatest legacy is the live in HD, which was you know no question a bold bold move, and it was great. But the Met doesn't tour anymore. It doesn't you know uh, it barely has any radio listeners anymore. Um, it needs to it needs to take. This is the opportunity now, Peter, if you're listening to this, now is the opportunity to go you know really it. big with it. I need you to shock people. That's what I'm saying. I think this is and this is never something I, I I will say. This is never something I thought I would be able to say and have like maybe a chance of like crossing Peter's mind because the Met has been so conservative in its programming for so long and to see them be like, oh no, we actually do have to change with the times. I'm like, get ahead of the times. There you the go. The reason the Met was so big is because it was on the radio. It was everywhere. It was setting the tone. It can get back there again if you make big, big moves here.
1: Weston, that's a great wrap up from you. Ashley, before we move on, will it work? What's the potential effect beyond the Met? Will it go horribly wrong?
0: <laughs> I think it could. But right before I get into that, I do want to give the method flowers just a little bit, because as much as this programming isn't revolutionarily progressive, it is progressive for the Met. Oh, absolutely. And this is what we have been asking them to do. We have yep. been asking them to update, to modernize, to adapt. This is a step in that direction. It's not perfect, but... We have to acknowledge that this is progressive. There's a whole reason that this article came out and people were talking about it and posting it on social media is that these are bold, major money moves for a company like the Met. So I just wanted to give them their flowers and say, thank you for listening, albeit many years <laughs> after we started bellyaching about it. Will it work? I I want it to. I hope so. I mean, again, they're they're reactive. In some ways, they have to be. They're doing these things and making these choices based on the data they have in terms of ticket sales so from that angle i have a feeling that at least the newer shows even if they're on storylines that people already know i Mm -hmm. do think that it will work i don't know fiscally how the money they've pulled out of the endowment will perform. But if it Mm. keeps them afloat and if interest rates don't stay in the toilet like they are right now, then perhaps we're going to be seeing them not touch that endowment for another five to 15 years. So I remain guardedly optimistic that these moves that are bold for the Met
1: will work. (laughs) Final number crunch here. The Met hopes to replenish its endowment of that $30 million take by the middle of this year. That is a I'm... prediction I will be fascinated to see if that that's <laughs> <to laughs> bold. Good luck. <laughs> opera class. Sports radio crass.
0: This is Opera Box Score.
1: Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Stitcher and Spotify. Click follow Apple Podcasts. Hit the plus sign. Quick little sports talk before we get into uh, the middle of the show. So... Ashley the Liberty Bowl
0: oh my god in the final Razorbacks update that nobody cares about nobody asked for of this football season (laughs) holy cow the literal record-setting Liberty Bowl that happened on the 28th of December uh Arkansas played Kansas in a game that set 24 records in bowl game history including a triple overtime 55 wow. to 53 win wow. for the Razorbacks. That is it,
2: wild.
0: It was bananas. And you know the Liberty Bowl is one of those bowls that like nobody really cares. I mean, right. it's not the, you know, Formula 1 uh Cheez-It Bowl or whatever the hell that was. <laughs> that but sounds delicious the, Yeah, yeah, I listen, I love a cheese <laughs> it but yeah, that game was I mean, triple overtime in in anything is very stressful triple overtime in college football I don't know if you guys know this but in the rules of college football the 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 first overtimes you can you can play and you're required to um you're required to go for a two-point conversion. Right. By the time you get to the third, they don't even do that. It's just two-point conversions. That's it. So that is the way that we ended up winning is because by the time the third overtime hit, they were like, everybody's tired. We have to pick up the pace. And so they push you to do only a two-point conversion. And we'd had a garbage passing game. So the fact that it happened at all was a miracle. Um, but yeah, so holy cow, the Liberty Bowl was, <laughs> was epic. And I really <laughs> wish someone else had watched it with
1: me. <laughs> the final fantasy football update for the year so the OBS team we did lose in the semifinal round oh uh, truly less was the final fantasy. two points I might add I mean that is an uh, absolute razor thin margin man. and then who, we, who who beat us
2: was it was it that bastard Larry Brownlee no, again
1: I know I I don't think it was Larry Brownlee I, I think he might have won the whole thing though um <laughs> And then we Every would go. Time. We would go on to actually lose the third place game as well. So, oh. basically, I now know how Morocco feels.
2: Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really sad. <laughs> wah, wah. We got so close, us and Morocco. You so know what? Close. There's always next year, George. I mean. Either us or Morocco will win something next year, and that—that's my prediction for 2023. You know
1: what? That well is what—that is what sports sells. The only thing sports sells is hope.
0: <laughs> Chalk talk on Opera Box Score.
1: Chalk talk. Our 2023 predictions. So, yes, it's true. We took a couple weeks off over the new year. We didn't do our 2022 wrap-up show, but I'm all about the future. The Met fell apart. I'm all about the future. I'm all about looking forward. So, I want our panel to make some bold predictions for 2023. And at the end of this calendar year, we're going to revisit this very episode in 50 weeks from now and we're gonna see how how close we are (laughs) this is inspired by the way by an article i came across um uh, an interview with a uh sonia yoncheva who was very pessimistic about the future of, of classical music and she said you know my son if i ask him what he wants to be he says i want to be like ronaldo
2: his daughter wants her daughter wants to be Lady Gaga like oh uh, know, know it, it's exactly. such a funny I mean it, it really feels like you know the, the these these European uh, uh, opera singers are like, oh no, what about the future of classical music? And like us Americans are like, this is the conversations we had in 1995. like catch up with <laughs> yeah, us.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So hey, we got some predictions. We've got some positive ones. we got some negative ones. We got some sports ones. we got some funny ones. We're just gonna go round the horn super quick. Weston, give us a prediction for 2023.
2: Okay, so here's my prediction for 2023. Uh, This one, I think, is a really interesting um, sort of coalescing of forces right now. Uh, If you are following um, the whole drama with um, streaming services, they're not doing so great at the moment. They're they're where cable was when streaming services came in and took them out. So my prediction is is that with the current abundance of film opera out there and the uh, the proliferation of them, mm-hmm. I predict that Netflix or another major streaming service will start to get desperate for weird, cheap, niche content and host a film opera, probably not one of the commission, but something that was already been done, like, like soldier songs. Uh, I predict that it will go out go out on netflix or another streaming service we will be we will all watch it it'll be a big deal in the opera world and no one else will watch it that's my prediction for 2023
1: wow <laughs> that is really bold soldier yep. song on netflix or some similar okay man yeah, yeah, yeah. you heard yeah. it here first ashley over to you give us give us one of your predictions for 2023
0: Absolutely. I think that uh, Will Liverman's rework of Barber, Factotum, I think it's going to do so well and be such a big hit in Chicago that two other houses will offer to host it sometime in the next few seasons. Not like a tier one, not a Met, not a San Francisco. I predict that it's going to be a smaller, more nimble company that's going to be more responsive to their population and has a history of innovative programming. So I'm thinking like Minnesota. I'm thinking Opera Omaha. But I think Factotum is going to be a huge hit and other companies are going to pick it up within two seasons.
1: Opens in Chicago in February. Here's one of my predictions, which also involves those tier one houses. These are houses... Uh, listed by Opera America as having budgets in the tens of millions. So there's nine tier one houses if you exclude the Canadian Opera Company and the Met. My prediction is that one of those houses, quite publicly, is going to follow the Met and take a public hit, dip into their endowment, and cut performances for their next season.
2: Mm, mm, yeah, I, I I think you're probably right on the money with that one, George. Talk
1: about don't being don't say that, that Uncle George never goes out on a limb. All right, Weston, <laughs> back to you. Give us another prediction for 2023. This one's maybe a little bit more
2: nebulous and maybe harder to measure. Maybe that's cheating because then I'll I'll probably just be right by default if you look at it and it's kind of squint. Um, but I predict that the um, the Met specifically will uh, will see its influence decrease substantially over this year, and it, and it has been for a while if we're being honest. But especially after this this announcement about you know dipping into the endowment, changing their whole model. Um, to focus on new new works, uh, I think more and more the clear model forward in our art form will be to follow the example of smaller, more nimble, more experimental companies uh-huh. uh, that focus on local markets and more diverse repertoire. Um, and I know it's almost cheating because I feel like the Met is already doing that just <laughs> today. Um, but I I feel like uh, it's about it's about time that people lo- start looking away from the Met for. Um, for their inspiration because I think the Met for the past, you know, five, ten years at least has kind of been slow to change. And I think that finally opera companies are kind of leaving them behind. And I think yeah. that's kind of a good thing for the overall ecosystem.
1: It's an interesting prediction. Again, I'm not quite sure how to quantify that, but I definitely understand the we'll
2: just logic go Sam behind go ahead say
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley, give us another prediction.
0: We have a generation of singers uh, that were – that were in the height of their game a bit ago. Uh, and th- there's, I think, a large generation of those folks who are coming to the end of the initial performance careers that made them famous. So I predict that a relatively famous singer is going to go through a fach shift, like a really mm-hmm. big one, like mm-hmm. like a Placido going baritone, like a Michael Jordan moving to baseball. I think it's going to be something that, re- you know, kind of rocks our world a little bit. It's going to be a singer that we don't expect, but they're going to make a move, a big fox shift, and they're going to start being known for repertoire that we didn't know them for before.
1: Very interesting. We'll see if that I, I, happens. I'll get more specific.
2: I'm going to say it's oh. going to be it's going to be like a, like a helden baritone shifting into countertenor. tenor oh, fuck. That's my prediction. I'm not going to be Stop. bold, bold, move. bold. bold you're, move. You're
1: a madman. Back to me. Agma, the American Guild of Musical Artists, and Central City Opera have been going at it. Over the last couple months with union, renegotiations, artists picking sides, the company, those two organizations not getting along right now. I don't think they will reach a resolution in 2023. They're going back to Mm. the drawing table to discuss this month. My guess is is that CCO will either withdraw from AGMA or they will postpone Mm. their summer season somehow – but I don't think those two will find a way to get along in this calendar year.
0: Mm, I actually man, yeah. think you're spot on. <laughs> yeah. that, and that's such a bummer. It's a
1: total bummer, right? Yeah. Um, and it's not this like, well, there's good people on both sides. It's like, no, you got to sit down and really talk this out. But it seems hard to, to see that coming together. Weston, back to you for one final wrap-up prediction for next well it's funny year. that you
2: asked me that george because my final prediction is that and i'm going to be specific here by October 15th you George Cedarquist will have gone through every possible permutation of facial hair beard combination and i i would be willing to bet money on that it's got am we're going to see the handlebar we're going to see the the afro we're going to see the bald we're going to have the, have a, oh, a little you. bit of mullet going on we're going to have uh, mutton chops every single one and i'm looking forward to every single change
1: <laughs> so, somebody once compared me to those those greeting cards you could get with iron filings and a little magnet that you like...
0: A little wooly willy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> Ashley, give us a couple wrap-up predictions.
0: This is going to sound funny, and maybe it is, but I want to speak it into existence. I predict that a European house is going to be applauded for getting race relations in their productions right for once. <laughs>
2: <laughs> come on uh, Europe will... I know
0: you can do it <sighs> yeah.
2: uh, and it won't be that one it won't be Arena de Verona
1: <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna jump back yep. to Europe before Ashley uh, does her last couple the 2022 Opera Awards were very kind to this country the United States of America I don't think a single American company or American artist is going to win an award at the 2023 International
0: Opera Awards mmm
2: bold bold
0: Ashley, back well, to you. I've got some predictions for the team here and I'm just going to rapid fire these off really quick. Matt's hair is going to continue to grow. It's going to be down the middle of his back by the time we get halfway through 2023. <laughs> it's already on bet. his back. A lot of for hair-based
2: West- predictions, I think.
0: For Weston, despite your keen ear, I believe your dog's musical tastes are going to move to oh my god, Mozart. <laughs> George, in a move of desperation, is going to agree to direct a jukebox musical. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I see. Awesome.
0: It. Jagged little pill. <laughs> and Oliver's heart is going to get stolen by, wait for it, an American. <laughs> bum,
1: bum, bum.
2: Literally impossible.
0: <laughs> Final prediction
1: for me for 2023 is that no major league team in the city of Chicago is going to finish above 500. Come Mm. on. Mm. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. The Bears have already failed to finish way, way um, above or below 500. (laughs) Hey, let us know what your predictions are for 2023. Send us that voice memo or email us your hot takes. OperaBoxSquare at gmail.com. See how you stack up against us. We're going to revisit these predictions at the end of this calendar year. See who's right. See who's wrong. Right now, we're going to visit the two-minute drill.
0: This just in, the two-minute drill. Hey,
1: listen up. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in opera land this week.
2: Black opera administrators have issued an open letter in support of Afton Battle, the outgoing general and artistic director of Fort Worth Opera. The letter expresses support for the business decisions she made at the company and lauds battle for, quote, defying the odds. You have demonstrated competence, courage, and leadership in your successful tenure with Fort Worth Opera. Battle is now the vice president of artistic operations at Lyric Opera
0: of Chicago. Welcome to the Windy City, Afton. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is going after Anna Natrebko. Natrebko is one of over a hundred individuals recently sanctioned by Zelensky and is now banned from entering Ukraine and any assets she might have in the country will be frozen, like my heart when I think about her career.
1: Gleinborn has cancelled its opera tour for 2023 after a 50% reduction in touring and community grants from Arts Council England. Said Richard Davidson Houston, the company's managing director, quote, The latest funding settlement is devastating. It risks undermining the delicate ecosystem in which we operate.
2: The Met and Glyndebourne might be in trouble, but the Verdi Festival is doing just fine, with the highest attendance numbers of any year in the festival's history, wow. Uh, Michele Guerra, the president of the Teatro Regio de Parma said, quote, the 22nd Verdi Festival can be called the Festival of Confirmations. The results show us, in fact, that the Verdi Festival has developed a working method capable of reconciling scientific vigor, economic sustainability, and artistic quality
0: composer Robert Beezer has been suspended by Juilliard after allegations of sexual harassment and abuse broke last year. Beezer, who was a department head in the 90s and 2000s when the alleged acts took place, told the New York Post that he was, quote, more than willing to remain on leave while the school conducts its investigation.
1: Opera Southwest has been selected by the Schulte Foundation to host young conductor Nathaniel F. Thiemew with its apprentice artist program. Said OSW Artistic Director, Principal Conductor, and Friend of the Show, Anthony Berese, quote, I'm delighted to collaborate with the Schulte Foundation to provide young conductors with this opportunity. This award is unique in the opera world in that it comes with a guaranteed performance. Nice one, Tony the Tiger. Nathaniel, you're great too. (laughs) Dortmund's doing it. The Dortmund
2: Opera has been selected as the best opera house of the year 2022 by Oprah Magazine Awards. Winners in other categories will be announced at a ceremony in the titular Dortmund Opera House in February.
0: Soprano Eleonora Burato has received the Pizarro Music Award from the Maggio Musicale Fiorentino. Buratto said it is an award of immense significance, as in this edition it was given to those who have a special link with Renata Tebaldi. Chinese conductor and pianist
1: Xu Zhong is the latest classical musician to be awarded the Order of Arts and Letters by the French government. Zhang is the principal director of the Arena di Verona and the general director of the Shanghai Opera House.
2: In trade news, Daniel Berenboim is stepping down from his position as music director for the Berliner Staatsoper, citing ongoing health problems. Berenboim has held the position for three decades and will leave at the end of the month.
0: Exit stage right director and Chicago darling Frank Galati. He joined the Steppenwolf Theater Ensemble in 1985, won two Tony Awards in 1990 for his adaptation and direction of the company's production of The Grapes of Wrath, and was nominated for a Tony Award in 1998 for directing the musical Ragtime.
1: English tenor Nigel Douglas passed away in December at 93. He originated the role of Lechmere in Britain's Owen Wingrave and performed over 80 roles in a career spanning four decades. In retirement, he wrote two books about tenors, Legendary Voices, and more Legendary Voices.
2: And on this day, January 9th, in 1737, it was the birth of French baritone Henri Larivet in Lyon. He premiered a lot of roles in Gluck operas specifically. In 1839, it was the birth of an early American composer, John Knowles Payne, who was born in Portland, Maine. In 1880, Rimsky-Korsakov's opera, May Night, premiered in St. Petersburg, even though it actually premiered on a January night. In 1896, it was the birth of New Zealand conductor Warwick Henry Braithwaite. In 1899, Russian composer Alexander Chernyepin was born in St. Petersburg. In 1902, British Administrator and Proto-Pete Rudolf Bing was born in Vienna. In 1940, it was the birth of American mezzo-soprano Gene Kraft, uh, born in Wisconsin. In 1947, it was the first performance of Kurt Weil's opera Street Scene in New York City. And a very happy birthday to German mezzo-soprano Waltraud Meyer, who was born on this day in Würzburg, Germany in 1956.
1: And that's your two minute drill.
0: Double two minute drill shout out. uh That was Voltraud Meyer performing some Liebestod with Daniel Barenboim conducting the West Eastern Divan Orchestra.
1: Valtroud Meyer. Oh my gosh, I I get the shivers just like saying her name, let alone <laughs> listening to her. Say it's a great her
2: name, isn't it?
0: It sounds real badass. She, she is it? a badass.
2: She is yeah. a
1: badass. Also, you know, Afton Battle, I think, is kind of a badass. <laughs>
0: uh kind of (laughs) she absolutely is i mean okay i don't want to say we're acing it in the prediction business but we've been singing afton's praises for a little bit so the fact that uh the fact that other people have written this open letter and are hoping to give her her flowers is i all i can say is duh um and thank you on (laughs) you know for her because i just i think she's she did some really great, really revolutionary things at Fort Worth, and she mm, really yeah, dug yeah. into community relations yeah. and was super creative with getting people out in into, in front of new audiences, which, frankly, I mean, artistic development is artist development, That's and it's yeah. community development. So the fact that she was able to do all of those really cool things with that company, I cannot wait to see what she does with a larger company in a different part of the country with a very different budget. So hooray continue being awesome. Also, this is an open invitation for you to come back on OBS anytime you want. So, oh,
1: absolutely. So great for Chicago and, and for Lyric, of course. Yeah, I mean, she really, I think, pushed the envelope and helped to redefine not just uh, activism, but art which is kind of the new portmanteau word for that. That's <laughs> that's exactly what she did in, in Fort Worth, and we're going to see as the vice president of artistic operations what she does At lyric, so the Verdi Festival is not struggling.
2: The, the the only place in the world where, where it's not struggling uh, our art form is having such a hard time right now um, but like it, it, it's almost almost silly because you know obviously the um, the 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 audience for you know uh, anything in Europe is going to be completely different right um, uh, than anything over here but it is nice to know that it can succeed you know if it has the right resources and tools uh, even something as basic as you know Verity I'm not not the Verity's basic, but like, you know, it's not the weird stuff I listen to. You know, I, I think it's really nice to see um, somebody doing well. And once again, I think I think, you know, as badly as poorly as the Mets doing right now, as you said, I think it's taking some nice, bold steps in another direction. I really feel for Glyndebourne, English National Opera. Um, uh, a lot of, a lot of like little mini updates happened, you know, while we were right, away for right. a couple of weeks, you know, mostly people holding out hope that the, that the decision would be reversed, you know, coming to terms with the fact that it probably isn't going to be at this point. Uh, we're seeing like, like this, um, this Glyndebourne touring opera, I believe it had been going for 50 years, yeah, you know, yeah. and just yeah. to have to cut it immediately like that out of nowhere.
1: Uh, Talk about predictions. So. You know, to to look back into twenty twenty-two, I certainly would A not have predicted that Arts Council England was going to cut ENO's funding and then tell the company to move to Manchester. But I also would not have predicted the outcry. Like we talk about national treasure is a phrase that we we throw around like a candy bar wrapper, you know, it's 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 everywhere. But it's really, I think, quite inspiring the outcry and the the continued noise mm, that people that is true. in yeah. the industry and outside of the industry have made yeah. about the funding of Eno, and I think by extension we talked about the knock-on effect of the Mets' decisions, the extension of that into Kleinberg.
2: Yeah, I I think there is something to that. I mean, we'll, we'll we'll have to wait and see if it has any like real material effect, but. I, I do think it is inspiring. I feel like you know here in America, I feel like we've just been so conditioned to know that uh, there isn't any help from government funding for our opera institutions that it's we've, we've become so jaded. It's kind of nice to see. I, I think I I, I I don't know if this is actually accurate. So if I'm wrong, listeners, please please let me know. But I actually saw a TikTok talking about this the the problems at the Met, and they made the point that. Um, the entire national endowment for the arts is equal to half the Mets budget alone, Yeah, you know? And, yep. and it's just like, who boy. Uh, it's, it's a different world out there. And, you know, I, I, I hate to see, I, I hate to see it kind of happening in real time to, uh, to, to Britain, but you know, you know, you guys over there across the pond, it's not too late to pull it out. Pester everybody. Um, make, make it a big movement. Refuse to let it let uh, let this have its way. And try, do your best because you can lose it. And once you do lose it, it's so hard to get back. Sure so, is Helen coming back. Keep fighting.
1: Yeah. Speaking of money, Anna, your tiny bank account is frozen. You know that you've hit the big time? When like the Ukrainian president is, uh, ahem, freezing your assets,
2: <laughs> just going for it.
0: I mean, uh, if there are, if there are only two sides of an argument to be on, and one of them is Volodymyr Zelensky, <laughs> I'm sticking with him. No, seriously. I, mean, I, the, the, I, I the
2: thought you were about to say, if you're on two sides of an argument and one of them is Anna Netrebko, you're on the other side, whatever
0: it is. Well, I think our <laughs> listeners know that, so I just wanted to reinforce it from the other angle. No,
1: seriously, like, the list is literally, like, arms dealers and Anna Netrebko. <laughs> there, well, there's some she other... Was,
0: she was some one other of the 500 that okay well but still she was one of the 500 or 499 or whatever that were able to speak on putin's behalf so like yeah this is what you get this is what you get (laughs) yeah let clowns expect a circus
1: yeah oh my goodness frank galati dying at the beginning of of january he was such a phenomenal artist right so he yeah he was in performance studies at northwestern university uh uh, not a founding member of Steppenwolf Theater, but right there from the 80s. And this incredible director, writer, adapter, who had some great shows, Grapes of Wrath, of course, which won Tony Awards, Ragtime. This is the original production of Ragtime. Uh, I remember, gosh, when I was an intern at the Goodman Theater. Ah, uh, drink. His drink. Pro- he, he directed the production of Mott's uh, musical, a candor and ebb version of Dermot's The Visit with Cheetah Rivera.
0: Oh, yes, I remember that.
1: And he was in the room. He was kind of like Father Christmas, like big guy, <laughs> big white beard, <laughs> huge heart. And most importantly of all, he was so self-deprecating because he, he talked. He also directed the, the uh, Broadway production of Susical.
0: Huh? And the he musical. had, he had
1: musical and musical and he had no qualms in being like, it was a total bomb and it was a complete mess. And like, he didn't try and hide that fact at all. He was like really open about it. Just love that. Oh, that's great. Love that honesty.
0: Well, and he was, you know, we are we are here in the city of Chicago. He is a Chicago darling. He was Chicago through and through. He was mm. born in Highland Park. He got all That's of right. his degrees at Northwestern. That's right. He taught at Northwestern for a number of years. So he is, you know, we, we pride ourselves on sort of the impact that Chicago theater has on like the greater performing arts world. And there is no more Chicago ambassador no. for theater than no. Frank Galati. No, no. no.
1: Rest in peace, Frank. Let's wrap this show up.
0: Good call, bad call, on Opera Box Score.
1: There's like 25 minutes of football left in this national championship, and it's (laughs) 45-7.
0: Call it a third.
1: I hope they're selling alcohol in the stadium. That's. Nasty. First show of 2023 is in the books. It's the first good call, bad call. We're going to kick it off with Weston Williams. What do you got for us, Doctor? A good call or a bad call?
2: Well, I believe this actually happened before I went on break, but not so much before that uh, I was I was able to mention it. But I wanted to give a shout out to my extremely small alma mater, uh, Principia <laughs> College, uh, because I just so happened to live practically on campus of Loyola University for various reasons. And they have a rugby team and uh, they both got to semifinals. And I was just like every, every morning I would go out and see a walk the dog see uh, Loyola's rugby team uh, practicing and just like I would just send out the worst vibes I possibly could <laughs> and it worked because they lost <laughs> like 14 to 52 and then my alma mater won the national championships so I hey! think it was pretty good go Thunder Chickens uh, it's been a good time to be a Thunder Chicken fan
1: I, that was so strange what you just said <laughs> I, I have to I, amazing I have to move on Ashley Hardgrave Help us start 2023 right with a good call or a bad call.
0: It, uh, it will not surprise any of our longtime listeners that I was waist deep in the House of Representatives last week and all of the coverage <laughs> of the Speaker of the House non-selections and eventual selections. So my good call this week is reserved for Cheryl Johnson, who is the clerk of the House of Representatives, who had to run all that because there was no Speaker. So she had to run all all of those votes speaking of giving flowers we're gonna give this woman her flowers also this is an open call for opera composers. If anything needs to be an opera, the dramatic saga of the speaker of the house vote last week should be an Ooh, opera. My be, that inbox would be good. is open. I will write the libretto. I just need some tunes. Open call, let's get started. What about Philip Glass, like
1: doing all these variations on the various a... rounds of the one, two, <laughs> that, three, vote, four vote, 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 vote. And they
2: vote. just do it over and over again every single time, fifteen times in a row. <laughs> yep.
1: I could call it was a fabulous minor league hockey game. It was my wife's idea for our family to go see the Chicago Wolves, Aww. which is our, our local Fun. Uh, minor league hockey team, play the Rockford Ice Hogs. And boy, <laughs> was it exciting. It was a seven o'clock puck drop. Not only was it all the way through regulation and into OT, but into an overtime shootout which you rarely see in hockey, and it was so fun. Plus, it was also $3 beer night, so Daddy had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Send a voice memo or email us your hot takes, operaboxcore at gmail.com. Find links to stuff we've talked about on the website, operaboxscore.com and that's also where you can put your money where our mouths are give back to the obs on our donate page your announcer is norm waddell your creative consultant is oliver camacho and your audio editor is weston williams for co-host ashley hardgrave i'm george cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about opera as you meet with your financial planner (laughs) we're back with an all-new show next week Plus, you get more opera headlines, more hot takes, and more. We told you so. Join us.